Hi everyone, Mike here. Today's guest has been much awaited and for good reason. In the episode, Lucy and I discuss working with Steven Spielberg, getting into the business with no connections, how actors can stand out by using platforms like YouTube, no-nos for the audition room, working with Dustin Hoffman and Kenneth Branagh, and much more. That's enough from me. Here's Lucy. So these actors would have to come and read the scripts out of the safe in Acton. And here I am in my little office in Acton. And who knew that Gotham City would come out of here? Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a film crew member turned screenwriter working in London. Each episode, I bring you life lessons and stories from the people behind your favorite movies and shows to help demystify the business for aspiring filmmakers and fans alike. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Today's guest is another first for the show, and it's an exciting one, the fabled role of casting director. Beginning her career in production, working on films such as Tim Roth's The Warzone, she made the move to casting, where she has flourished to one of the world's most successful casting directors, working on projects including Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, Venom Let There Be Carnage, and recently the much-lauded Matt Reeves' Batman. Along the way, she has developed a long-standing relationship with Sir Kenneth Branagh, having worked on nine projects together, as well as cultivating a key role as casting director for Disney on movies including Maleficent, Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast, and Cruella. Our guest is Lucy Bevan. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you for that very kind introduction. You're most welcome. Now, Lucy, I ask all of my guests the same first question, and that is, what did your parents do and did it affect your career choices moving forward? My father was a barrister. He was a um, prosecuting QC mainly and ended up as a judge at the Old Bailey. My mum looked after us as children and then she went on later um, to become a sort of artist. She makes Christmas fairies. Interesting. So I guess you had creativity from your mum and a bit of a business side from your dad? My father really, really, really loved his job. He was very into it. And I think I got my kind of work ethic and love of my job from my dad. But I didn't have any connections at all in the film industry in my family growing up. That's amazing. Am I right that it was E.T., though, amongst all of that, that set your path on filmmaking, perhaps? It was 100% E.T. I watched E.T. maybe I was about 10 and I was absolutely blown away by the movie, which is still in my top five. And it's in my top five, not only is because it had a huge impact on me, because I th- but I think it's one of the most well-cast movies um, ever made. All of those kids, the, down to the, all the friends on the bicycles at the end. It was a beautifully cast film and I found it hugely moving. And I, as a 10-year-old... I think I realised then, I didn't realise it, but the film is really about divorce. And I think I didn't sort of understand, which my parents were. And I think that that had an impact on me subliminally. Perhaps that's, you know, I know that's kind of perhaps Stephen's intention, but it had, it had a huge impact. I loved the film and I just became really interested in, in films after that. And I loved Back to the Future. I was a real 80s kind of, you know, absorbed all of that. But it wasn't until I got to university that I thought about any sort of, career um because it wasn't an option i just loved films like other people like everyone loves films have you seen the video on youtube where steven is casting the young boy and then at the end he says you got the job yes with uh, the casting director obviously who's improvising in that scene it's a remarkable video in fact when ken Branner sent me the script of belfast and in lockdown and said do you think we can do this in six weeks i.e cast it from start to finish and in six weeks I read it overnight and I rang him. I said, um, the main part is a kid. 
and usually that takes a long time to find a kid. But I said, yeah, sure, I'll give it a go. <laughs> and the first year I did, I sent him that Henry Thomasy um, audition from YouTube and said, this is the level of kid that we want. We want the kid to be this good. And we did do it in six weeks. That's incredible. And Jude was absolutely phenomenal. One question I did want to ask about the Stephen thing is that obviously with E.T. as your favourite film ever there, pretty much from getting you into it, you must have been pretty giddy to have then worked with him on Ready Player One later. I really was. I remember where I was sitting outside the National uh, National Theatre when Leslie Feldman, head of casting at DreamWorks, called me and asked me if I would work on Ready Player One. And it was such an honour to be asked to work with Ellen Lewis, who was casting it out of... um, America and she's done all the Scorsese's films and she's this phenomenal casting director so that was a huge honor in itself and to be working with Stephen yeah I had to really pinch myself and I and I as I said I'd never been so prepared for a meeting as when I flew out to LA to take we cast I think 88 roles out of um, UK in, in Ready Player One because it was shot here and I had to go out to LA to see Stephen and show him all these auditions and I don't think I've ever been as well prepared for a meeting in my life insofar as on the aeroplane I realised there was one film of his I hadn't seen and so I watched it on the plane on the way out to meet him just to make sure I was absolutely covered on all of his back catalogue as well as the um, auditions I was taking with me to show him so to take it from being in Steven Spielberg's house in Hollywood back to you having no collections in the UK to try and get your first job you wrote letters to famed working title producers Tim and Eric but it didn't go your way initially did it? Well, I wrote, I was at university and obviously this is before the internet and I set up a theatre company with some friends and I absolutely loved everything to do with it, particularly when it came to casting. And we did a production of Streetcar Named Desire and I felt quite strongly about the casting and that was the first time I felt strongly. And then we had Benedict Cumberbatch in our Hedda Garbo in the third year. He was a fresher, I was a third year. Mm. And I really enjoyed doing these plays. And I thought, right, um, I've got to leave. I need to have a job that I love because I'm going to be spending so much of my day doing it. What do I love? Film. What am I good at? I seem to be good at this sort of organising. I was in one play myself and I was absolutely terrible and terrified (laughs) and um, had to be stoned to get through it. Um, So that wasn't for me. But I I sort of loved the the kind of creating process. So I thought, well, I want to work in film and I, I seem to be good at this. So I got the BFI handbook. I think it was twelve ninety nine, and I wrote to the ten best producers that I knew of in the back of the in, in the BFI handbook, handwritten letters. Um, Tim and Eric at Working Title, certainly uh, Merchant Ivory. I wrote to Mike Lee's producer, um, Ken Loach's producer. I wrote to the ten producers, and I got about two or three letters back, and one of them was from Working Title. And I had the gumption. I just turned up at their office and said, could I speak to, um, I can't remember the name. Anyway, I wrote, so I, so I turned up at Working Title and I said, could I speak to this lady? I'm looking for work as a runner. Because that's the, the, only new, the only way I knew to get in was to be a runner, which is when you run around Soho delivering parcels and um, making tea. And I said, I really want to be a runner. And she was very kind and said, oh, all right, come in. And, and then she went through the knowledge with me and highlighted people who might be looking for a, a runner, one of whom was Sarah Radcliffe, who I contacted and I got that job and that was my first job. But I still think it might have been because my surname was Bevan <laughs> and they might have thought I was related to Tim, so they might have to be nice to me. Oh. But I am not related to Tim <laughs> anyway. But perhaps, but yeah, I literally, I literally turned up, I don't necessarily recommend this now, but I literally just turned up and, and, um, and knocked on the door of working title. That's how I got going. It's an interesting answer because I'd say most of the people I speak to who are 
at the top of the game on this podcast have similar stories. And it's a bit difficult, I think, for the youngsters to understand what to do because I feel like things have changed a bit and you want to find that middle ground. Yeah, and it's, it's a really different time, isn't it? And we like this is the internet now. There's so much more research you can do than we could when we were young. Um, but my first job for Sarah Radcliffe, I was really smartly dressed. I had penny loafers and a little crepe dress. And my mum had got me this <laughs> cardigan from a secondhand shop and I had tights. And I was really smart. I remember it vividly. And my first job was to lug a filing cabinet down five flights of stairs <laughs> at Sarah's office. So I realised day one, wear trainers and jeans. And I was so excited and I was only 250 pounds a week and it was amazing. I loved it. I learned so much um, because I was making tea for, for Sarah Radcliffe and the other Dixie Linda and the other you know, great people in that office. And I just listened and learned. And I was really delighted to have that job. I felt very lucky. After you worked with Sarah Radcliffe, you decided that casting was actually your calling and you worked for the legendary casting director, Mary Selway, who did Raiders of the Lost Ark and Alien and Star Wars Return of the Jedi. What did you learn from her? Oh, Mary was always so kind to people. She was kind to all the people in St. Margaret's where we worked, the people over the road, the actors that came in, the nice people in the shop. She was a very, very generous hearted person. And she was respectful to everybody. It didn't matter if you were the waiter who's serving you or the important producer you're talking to. She was a very, very kind woman. And she was really funny and really glamorous. And she would always paint her nails as she was on the phone. And I, I still do that. <laughs> um, she was, when it, when it got really tense, and things went wrong, that's when her sense of humour kicked in. And I think that was experience because when I, when Mary died and I started off on my own, much younger than I would have done if Mary hadn't died, um, I was so stressed so much of the time because, every, because on productions, you never know what's going to happen next. There's a different crisis on every production. Every day there's something comes along that you're not expecting. And I spent so much of my younger years casting incredibly stressed. And as one gets older and more experienced you've got the benefit of that to keep you a bit kind of calmer and to sort of see the humour in things. But I remember sitting opposite Mary and just thinking she was so cool the way she stayed. You know, she retained her sense of humour and calm in, in a crisis. Because, product, you know, casting is not easy and things go wrong all the time. Did she tell you any memorable anecdotes from all of those movies she worked on? Uh, yeah, I mean, we found the first list of ideas for Alien, which were blokes because it was written for a male character. And then we found her list that said Sigourney on it. But, oh, my goodness, so many stories. Where to start? I was always so impressed that she'd cast with Mel and I, because I think that is in my top five of the best cast films ever. And I'm now lucky enough to be working with Richard E. Grant's daughter, Olivia, now works with me. Um, so that's a lovely kind of full circle. Olivia's worked with me for years. When you became a casting director yourself, it's a job that I think... A lot of people have heard of in the element of choosing actors, but they probably don't realize who haven't worked in the industry. There's a lot more going on. There's scheduling, mm. there's deals, there's cans. Would you be able to kind of define it for anyone who's a bit of a layperson? Well, I think there were sort of two really separate elements to casting. And one of them is the entirely creative, where you sit with a blank page, you send a script, you read the script, and you have ideas, and you bring those ideas to the director, and you collaborate with the director. And that's an entirely creative process. And then there's the more kind of business side of it, which is that you then have to get those actors to do it 
and do their deals. And doing deals is really complicated from the big from the big deals and the big leading characters to the small deals of the day players who work, you know, a number of days over the schedule or one day further down the line. Those are really different skill sets. And I enjoyed both of them. I enjoyed the creative and I enjoyed the business side of it as well. But yeah, we work in, you work sort of mainly creatively with the director to realize his, help realize his or her vision. And then you work with the producer to do the deals. This is a slightly glib question, but does the notion of being discovered still exist like it did? And if it does, what does it look like these days? Is it a Zoom call? Um, I always think that's a sort of dodgy word, that discovery thing, because people always exist, don't they, before they're cast in something. But in the case of Jude Hill in Belfast, for example, we did a social media search for a kid's with a Belfast accent. We didn't even say it was, he didn't know he was auditioning for Belfast when we auditioned him. We just did a a, a, um, a casting call through social media. So if you're looking for something specific, in that case, we're looking for something very specific, a boy with a Belfast accent, therefore had to be from Belfast, of a very specific age, needed blue eyes, needed, we wanted him to sort of look like a young Ken. So we, we, we did a very specific search for that. We've also done a search recently for a blind character in Sean Levy's Netflix show, All the Light We Cannot See. And Aria, who we cast, was a result of a social media. You know, we, we came to her through a, social, a search through social media. So those people already exist and they're there. But if you're looking for something really specific, you have to go and search for it. So that's how those things happen, is that you go up, you do a search and you dig deep until you find what you need. Amazing. I know that you're quite a large proponent of making your own work, which is something that works a lot these days with the internet. Could you speak to that? Are we talking about YouTube? What does that mean for actors? There's a really great actor called Elliot Warren, who we cast in um, Batman and also in Masters of the Air. And he created this incredible show. It's, all, it's like an urban piece, all in iambic pentameter. And it's sort of like rap, but it's iambic pentameter. And he created it himself. And I remember Olivia Grant showing it to me and thinking, my God, he's amazing. And actually, we just cast him in um, Kristen Scott Thomas's film as well. But he created that himself and it existed on its own. And it was really amazing. And as a result, through, you know, seeing that we've cast on a number of things. What I mean is sort of about creating your own opportunities. Because if you sit around in life and wait, it doesn't really work so much. You've got to go and knock on Tim Bevan's door. Oh, no, don't recommend that. <laughs> not forgive me. No. no, but I think now that with the point is with the internet that you can... Um, you've got more access, you know, you've got more, more access to sort of getting your own ideas out there. There's a brilliant actor who was doing loads of things in lockdown who's just been cast in Call My Agent called Harry Trevelyan. And he was doing amazing things in lockdown. We've just cast him as a, as a part in something. But um, yeah, just about creating your own opportunities, creating your own work rather than sitting and waiting for the phone to ring. Speaking of lockdown, do you do a lot of casting and auditions on Zoom these days? What does that look like? Well, yes. So, so we learned that through lockdown. So we were doing Matilda and Batman when lockdown happened. We were seven weeks into filming Batman, so we were quite, we've done most of it. We haven't done all of it, done most of it. But we were, we were just in the middle of casting Matilda, which was all in real life auditions with kids. And then we sort of transferred to Zoom. We ended up, um, Alicia, who got the part, we met on Zoom. So, we, so basically lockdown meant that Zoom auditions 
became much more normal. And I think they're incredibly time efficient. As a first round, they're great. Rather than people having to slog to my office in Acton for a first round audition, I'm really happy to see people on Zoom. I think it works really well. Then obviously you want to get them in the room when you're, if it's a big part and you're further down the line, you've got to meet the director or whatever it is, then of course you need to be in the room. But for those sort of first round meetings, I think it's yeah hugely time efficient. And we did all of Belfast auditions, all of them on Zoom, it start to finish in six weeks, including finding Jude. So, yeah, it's um, it can work well. Wow, six weeks—that's amazing. Um, I know you're not a huge fan of direct on the nose advice, but the one question I will ask is: Are there any no nos for people when they have auditions with you? Don't talk about traffic, or you know, if you're late, people—you know—people are late and it's flustering. I'm not a big—I'm not a fan of, of lateness, but it happens. You know, stuff goes wrong. But I, someone coming in the room and telling me their traffic woes—I'm really not <laughs> interested. Fair enough. It's really about, you know, entering and leaving the room is really important. Come in clean, know your lines, be ready to have some, bring some thoughts with you, bring two or three thoughts with you on whatever it is that you're doing, have some ideas, be ready to take direction and make adjustments and leave cleanly. And that's your time. That's the only time, that's the time that you've got. So really, um, and use your nerves because if you're nervous, that's completely understandable. I get nervous. I got nervous last night. I had to do a meeting on Zoom with a director I haven't worked with before for a project that I really hope I get. And I was so nervous before it. Nerves are useful. You've got to harness them. But yeah, have some thoughts about the material you've got in front of you. Have some ideas and then be nimble, be ready to take direction and make adjustments and give it your best shot. And don't spend that time talking about traffic. No traffic. We've got that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now you've worked on nine projects now with Ken Branner. Yes. What is it about your collaboration that works and how is it working with him as an actor? Does that help the casting process? I love working with Ken. It's so fun. He's so great with actors. He's so kind to them. He gives such great notes. And I really love when an actor comes in the room and you work on some scenes and they leave and they've learned something. He'll give really specific notes that mean that when an actor leaves the room, they've learned something in the audition. And that's so great to watch people get better in the room. I love that because, you know, yeah, he's, he's, he's so nimble at directing people and just making them better. Um, and also... I had the really great experience twice with Ken now. On Cinderella, Lily James came in for the part of a stepsister and I was looking for a girl with blue eyes and blonde hair. It's a big property for Disney and she came in with brown eyes, brown hair, brown fringe. She came in to read for a stepsister and I said, take Cinderella sides, go downstairs, come back in half an hour. And that was the beginning of that process. And also... On Death on the Nile, Emma Mackey, who was so brilliant in sex education, came in for a smaller part and was so good that we got her back in to play the lead. So twice now, working with Ken, I had an actress in for a smaller part and they've ended up with the lead. And that's really great. He just gives people opportunities and he gets behind people and he sees their potential. And um, he's really good fun. That does sound fun. Was it the same with Dustin Hoffman? Because obviously he was an actor as well. Did he teach them in the same way? What was his process? Dustin wouldn't meet any actors. Dustin was like, I cannot meet an actor and not give them the job. (laughs) You'll have to do it for me. He just wouldn't wouldn't meet a single actor. I did all the auditions myself. That was a crazy job because it was about, um, Quartet was the film, and it was about retired opera singers and musicians in a retirement home. And so I went around the country 
getting people who had retired, getting their instruments out and playing to me. I went all the way to Deal in Kent, which is by the coast. And the first violinist of the Philharmonic had retired there. And he thought I was joking on the phone when I got tracked him down, got hold of him. And he got his violin out. We got there and I filmed it and he played... um, I have, to, I have to think of the piece, I can't remember. But he played his violin and it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard, this elderly retired man playing um, this music on his violin. It was He ended up in the film. And every time Dustin saw an audition that he liked, he was saying, that's the movie. <laughs> that's the movie. <laughs> but yeah, he didn't, want to, he didn't want to meet people in person. He couldn't bear rejecting people. Wow, that's incredible. I guess, yeah, as an actor... You know, you've, he's been through such hard times that it's so hard to not give them to other people, isn't it? Yeah, he always said, he always, he used to say after doing The Graduate, he went back on the, whatever the American equivalent is of the gyro, the doll. And, um, you know, while they were in the cutting room making me a star, he was back waiting tables, so he, so he said. Um, so he really knew about, there was a long time that he had before he became successful. Now, Lucy, there's always one question I always have to ask for each person, and your one is, I have to ask about the recent Batman. Um, there's obviously been like an amazing reception to it. And yeah. what, I know you sort of double-casted, didn't you? So what roles were you responsible for? And how did you approach it, given that Gotham has been, you know, the residents of Gotham have been on screen a lot recently. How did you make it your own? Well, there are two really good questions. So first of all, I'm thrilled with how Batman turned out. I'm absolutely delighted. Cindy Tolan had cast like the sort of seven leads, I think, or eight leads. And then I cast the rest out of UK because we were filming here. And Cindy Tolan is fantastic. We've become friends. And I was so thrilled she won a BAFTA for West Side Story. So well-deserved. She's an amazing woman. And so we got on very, very well. And she, so she cast those sort of main parts and I came on and did the rest. And the amusing thing was I wasn't allowed the script until I had a safe in the office. So we had to get a safe, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> so we had the safe in the office and Olivia had the password and she wouldn't give it to me because she didn't trust that I would forget it or leave it out. And I cast all of that film from my office in Acton. So these actors would have to come and read the script out of the safe in Acton. And here I am in my office in Acton. And who knew that Gotham City would come out of here? But Matt <laughs> Reeves said to me when I first met him, he said, look, I'm nervous of shooting in the UK because it's got to sound like American, that these actors have got to sound American. I said, don't worry, don't worry, it's fine. We can make everyone sound American. And I truly think that we did. I think it, I think that the, I, I'm so proud of it. I think the cast did a terrific job. And I'd just seen Chernobyl, which Nina Gold and Rob Stern cast, which I think is one of the most brilliantly cast things I've ever seen. And I was obsessed with Chernobyl. So I got Alex Ferns in. Uh, Con O'Neill and they're both in Chernobyl like, and I was I was determined like whoever I could from Chernobyl I was trying to cast in Batman because I thought it was so good um, yeah that's how we created Gotham City out of Acton in London and one question I have which is a bit of a personal one because I'm a writer myself um, what do you look for when you read a script so some writers you read other people's work and they do massive descriptions for characters other people sometimes write nothing how do you read a script and what do you want from it to then cast from I work on such a different variety of projects, like from, you know, Batman and Belfast in one year and Matilda. And a script has just got to grab you. You've just got to be, you've just got to understand what the writer is trying to say. And I might not be the best person at casting some films if I don't get them. But for me, I'm not sure I can give a specific answer than that other than I just get grabbed in those first few pages. You know, if you're going to get on with the scripts and if you identify with those characters, if you think you can cast them. Um, I remember years ago reading a script that had two prostitutes with a not very much dialogue, maybe a page or so of dialogue, and then they were pushed into a 
canal with a couple of bricks in their pockets. And that was the end of them. And I thought, this film is not for me. I can't cast this film. I sort of knew by page 10, it wasn't for me. Um, but it's, yeah, I've just got, the characters have just got to be ones that I can, that jump out at me as I'm, as I'm reading it. Now, Lucy, I wrap up on Red Carpet Rookies with a little quick fire, which is my own ode to In the Actors Studio. Okay. So if you could just think of whatever comes off the top of your head and we'll do the one by one. Is that okay with you? Okay. Now, the first one is, what is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? Only be an actor if you absolutely can't not be. Mary Selway. Very good. I like the attribution. Uh, number two, do you have a favourite film? I think Thelma Louise, as well as E.T. Number three, what gives you a reason to get out of bed every day for a day of casting? The different challenges that you meet every day and my fantastic for women that I work with. One of which who worked with you since she's been about 15 or something, didn't she? Yes, Emily Brockman. We met when she was up 16, actually. We met when I did a careers talk at her school and she came and did a week's work experience. And then she came back every holidays. <laughs> and now she um, cast Belfast with me. Awesome. Love that story. People will love that one. Number four, which job in the industry would you do if you weren't doing yours? Oh, hair and makeup. Early mornings. True, but so much skill. I love the hair and makeup department. And my last question is always, if you won an Oscar, who would you thank? Which I'm going to ask you, but could you also explain to the listeners why that's an annoying question to ask a casting director? I'm really grateful that you acknowledge that it's an annoying question because casting um, does not have an Oscar. I do think it's, I think that our contribution to film is as valuable as any other head of department. There are two for sound. Sound is mostly men. We are mostly women. I truly believe that casting is as important as all of the other heads of department. And I really hope in our lifetime that I see a fellow casting director um, win an Oscar. I really hope that that is something that opens up for us. Thank you. And on that note, our time has come to a close. Thank you so much to Lucy for your advice and stories, giving a window into the creative choices behind what put your favourite actors on screen. Thank you for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. To help us grow and be able to interview more amazing film and TV professionals, please do subscribe and drop us a rating on the Apple Podcast Store on your iPhone or online if you're an Android user. If you're interested in regular updates, the best thing you can do is to join our mailing list at redcarpetrookies.com or alternatively, find us on Instagram at redcarpetrookies or Twitter at rcrookiespod. I also tweet regularly about my own learnings in the business at Mike F. Battle on Twitter, so please do come and say hi. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time.